Welcome to your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw. Hi everyone, Robin Openshaw, and have I got a treat for you today. Christine Carlson and her husband, Richard Carlson, have been on the Oprah Winfrey show many, many times. They have nine New York Times bestsellers published in many, many languages and have sold 30 million books. They are passionate about spreading a message of returning from grief, waking up to life with more joy and gratitude, and not taking life too seriously. We're talking today mostly about Richard's original work, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff. So let me welcome Christine Carlson. Christine, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, thank you so much, Robin. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. You and I are about the same age, and we have so much in common raising children. We're both book authors, but I want to tell my audience whom I adore and who've been following Green Smoothie Girl for close to a decade now, many of them, that the work of your husband, Richard Carlson, specifically the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff, completely changed my life years ago. And I want you to give us a little backstory on his his professional background and your interaction with this whole series of now nine books published in, I'm sure, a lot of languages, 30 million copies sold of those nine books. What I want to start with is just telling you how, as a very driven, type A, can't fail at anything, overachiever, oldest child of eight, kind of train wreck of a human, <laughs> how how much permission wow. you gave oh, me. Child of eight really caught me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm from Utah, so enough said, right? So <laughs> I, you, you saved me. You saved me from myself. And so I'd love for you, rather than tell all the things I love about the book, I just want to start with, can you give me a little backstory on your and Richard's story? Sure. So um, Richard and I met um, in college. Um, I was 18 and he was 20. And it was kind of a fairy tale romance as close as possible to what you would expect of you know, meeting and then falling in love instantly. And, um, we got married after I got out of college and then we, um, had our two daughters. And I like to say that don't sweat the small stuff was your typical overnight success story because it took 10 years. (laughs) I love those stories. They're the best ones. That means you worked really, really hard. And that's inspiring to our audience. Who's trying really hard to do something. Right. So it took a lot of tenacity on Richard's part and on my part in supporting him as an author. Um, He had written 10 books and or nine books. And on this 10th book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, really hit a chord around the world. Um, It wasn't just even in the United States. It was a global phenomenon. And and it just began to be one of the fastest selling self-help books of all time at that time period. And it was right in neck and neck 1997 with Chick- Chicken Soup for the Soul. 
um, when that book series really took off too. So it was a really amazing time in our lives. Richard was uh, was a psychologist who studied psychology um, through his PhD program, but didn't practice traditional psychology. He practiced what he called happiness training for a long time. He didn't believe in um, traditional psychology really helping people all that much. He really um, was a pioneer before positive psychology and the mindfulness movement um, about really understanding that people were basically healthy and that they had moments of getting off track. And we're not talking about people with severe mental illnesses like, you know, schizophrenia or, you know, personality, borderline personality disorder or some, you know, true chemical um, disorders. We're talking about the majority of people um, that are healthy minded, but they get off track. And so he really believed that if you taught people some basic principles about happiness, then they could access their mental health and well-being a lot easier and get back on track more quickly. And that's that's what he set about to do in his work. I love it. And I, you know, as a former psychotherapist myself, who also um, has left private practice and who doesn't really believe that most of what the psychology profession is doing is particularly helpful. You know, in fact, more than one study shows that people in therapy, a third of them get better, a third of them get worse, and a third stay the same, which is the exact same statistic of people not in therapy. And it's not that therapy doesn't help people, and it's not that uh, I wouldn't ever tell anybody to go to therapy. Oh, but I, mean, I found it very helpful to myself when I was younger. I mean, it, it was incredibly helpful to have somebody listen to me very well. <laughs> And, and, you know, and that's the value of it. And sometimes there's nobody who's not, you know, you need someone who's objective and can stand back and who has that training. But the point is, I really resonate with the idea of teaching people something more hands-on, more common sense. And I got so much common sense perspective from the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. Will you tell us before, I really want to dive into some of the best bits from this work that you and Richard created, would would you tell us what happened next in your life? So, um, we went around, we went about, you know, um, our lives raising our daughters and, you know, really, really, um, enjoying an amazing 10 year run with the don't sweat the small stuff books. Richard introduced me into the series when we wrote don't sweat the small stuff in love together. And then he asked me to write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women in the series. And then um, 10 years in, uh, exactly the 10th anniversary, Richard was promoting his latest book, which wasn't a Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book, but it was a book that he wrote with um, Harper Collins at the time. And he was on a book tour. Um, it was busy. It was early December, December 13th, and he got on a flight to New York on that flight, on the descent of that flight, he died suddenly from a pulmonary embolism. Total shock to you, right? He wasn't oh, unhealthy oh in any way. Yeah. yeah, it was, it talk about having the rug pulled out from under our feet. You know, it was literally like, you know, he left the night before I talked to him that night. I picked up the phone to call him that morning and I missed the, I missed him by five minutes. He got on the plane at 6 a.m. and I called him at 6:05 and and then the next thing was I got a call at about 11:10 um, my time in California from a doctor and a nurse and they had told me that they didn't know it what had happened yet but they had told me that 
my husband had expired on that flight. And it, it was, I mean, I, I can't even begin to describe to you the, the level of shock that I went through and what, you know, what our family went through in, you know, reconciling our grief and, you know, going through a process of healing and, you know, and just adjusting to life, like as a single mom and, you know, picking up the reins of the brand too. I mean, I actually didn't do much for the first couple of years. I just couldn't, you know, I really just was concerned with getting myself and my kids through our loss um, as healthy as we possibly could. And then about, I, I did publish An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, The True Story of the Best Gift Ever Given. And that was a tribute to Richard. Um, he had answered um, Stephen Levine's call in his book, A Year to Live. Um, if you could make one phone call and it was, and you had an hour to live, who would it be to? What would you say? And why are you waiting? And he had answered that in a 37 page love letter to me um, on our 18th wedding anniversary, three years before he died. And I, I then, you know, that became such an amazing, like comforting, just letter that I would read. And then I decided that I would publish it back to him as a tribute. And then we um, were on Oprah that right at the first anniversary, actually. Um, and she did this beautiful tribute um, to Richard on another segment, but it was about a 20 minute tribute, which was incredible. Yeah. So that was the beginning of a really long, a very long journey, <laughs> long journey of healing. What an amazing thing and a lesson to us all that he wrote you a 37 page tribute and you still have that. And you, I mean, not all of us get to go be on Oprah and listen to Oprah probably weep and discuss this tragic, but beautiful story, but to have that. And it just reminds me to express my love to the people I care about more often. Yeah. And a letter is just so powerful. I mean, I, I just wrote on my blog, I wrote a letter to Richard. Um, I called it a letter to my husband on my blog. Um, at the 10th anniversary. And I, you know, it's such a powerful healing thing to write a letter, even to somebody who's passed, you know, it's, it's just so healing and it's so healing to write one to somebody you love before you die. I mean, that's, that's, see, that was so Richard. I mean, doesn't that just sound like what you know about him from his work? I mean, that is how he was. He, he did not, he did not wait to do the things that he was inspired to do. He just did them. Me, on the other hand, I wasn't as present as he was at the time. Now I am, but <laughs> I had to learn that inadvertently through my loss, you know, was really, I, I feel like he's always been my master teacher, but boy, I learned just as much through, you know, through losing him as I did in life with him. I mean, the gifts that I have received in my loss have been amazing. I mean, really been amazing to the rest of my life, especially to my soul growth. I want to get to that, the gifts in your loss. I'm sort of sitting here listening and doing the math. You met him, you got married and like all of us, you're building your careers. You probably had nothing. You're having babies while you have nothing, which <laughs> is, I mean, that's like the good stuff right there. You, you look back when you're older and you have money and you have freedom and you look back and you're like, we were so happy when we had nothing, you're just living on love or whatever. And then yeah. tell me if I've got this right. 10 years you spent, you know, trying to figure it out. He's writing a bunch of books, hasn't really hit it big yet. And then all of a sudden he, you know, probably through relationships and getting his name out there to a certain extent, he hits a, 
a massive New York Times bestseller, biggest chicken soup in the soul. And then you enjoy another 10 years of success and writing more books and writing books together. And now it's been another 10 years. Seems like a 30 year journey, another 10 years since he passed away. And we're going to, we're going to post in the show notes, a letter to my husband from your blog. If you ask yourself every time something you're getting worked up about, if ask yourself if this is going to matter in a year. Yeah, that's a powerful one. <laughs> it's a good tool. It has literally, it has literally led to, so my audience has now heard my 90 seconds to metabolize, reframe and release any negative emotion. And your work, your and Richard's work has everything to do with my sort of developing this way of so much chaos in the last eight years with you know, my former husband and his choices and my children's choices and, and things that we've all done that it just has been a hard, hard, long thing. It's hard to raise four kids by yourself. Oh gosh. Yeah. And you know, I come back to that almost daily, Christine, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you publicly. I want to thank you personally for the way that that helped me sift through all the stupid things I get worked up about and ask myself almost every single day, at least once, is this going to matter in a year? And if not, I literally just put it in my review mirror about 10 times faster than I did when I was in my twenties and just, you know, like pouring so much negative energy into uh, things other people did, things that would happen that aren't going to matter tomorrow, let alone in a year. And it's just made the quality of my life so much better. So thank you for that. And, and while you can't go through the whole book on my podcast, I really would love for anyone who joins us to know a few of the most powerful, most high impact things that you teach? Well, there's some incredible stories. You know, one of the most powerful, there's, there's a few most powerful stories that I love. One came in from a teacher and he had been using Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in his English classroom for the last 15 years. And he's, and so his graduating seniors have to read the book, um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, their last hundred days. So they read a chapter a day and then they do a final paper at the end of the semester on, on the book and what they learned from it. And one of the coolest things was he said that in his school, kids are so excited to read quote the book unquote. And then they come back years later and tell him, thank you so much for having me read. Don't sweat the small stuff. That book changed. They believe that changed the way they live their life. And I, I just have, I, I wish that Richard had heard that particular story because to me, that was one of the just most significant profound stories that I love so much. And you know, and mostly, you know, mostly what people say about the book is that it's so, I believe it's so easy to practice the things that Richard points to in all the strategies and, and that we point to in all the strategies and all the books that they're all so simple, but it really is that we have habits that we get into and it's about changing our habits, which then really alter is the manner in which we live. And once we alter the manner in which we live, we're living a lot better and we can live a lot happier if you can look at some of your habits that don't serve you well. And and I think that practicing a happy life has everything to do with living a happy life. And 
one of the things that people often say about reading the book is that it it makes life seem a lot less scary to them. And I just think, again, it's because it's such a simple way through life to do these simple things. It gives you tools. That's really helpful. And I want to ask you to maybe walk us through a few of the habits, but you can also be your own worst enemy. And you can, you know, if you, if you're worrying about everything and if everything is a struggle and if you're not able to sift the big things from the small things, then you're in your own way. Am I right? Yeah, no, that's so true. You know, I mean, the beauty of, of not sweating the small stuff is it frees up all of your focus to your creativity. And let's face it, you know, I mean, whether you're going to solve problems in your life or, you know, you're going to put your energy into your work or your family, whatever it is, it all takes a, an insurmountable amount of energy and creativity in order to do all of those things. And when you're not focused on things that don't matter, you have all that you need and all the energy you need to focus on really what does matter to you. And I think that is the core principle of this series, you know, that, that it just teaches you how to keep life in perspective. Um, His earlier work is actually the basis of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. So he wrote several books um, and they were more psychology oriented and and they were called um, You Can Be Happy No Matter What, Stop Thinking, Start Living, Shortcut Through Therapy, You Can Feel Good Again. There was a, a whole bunch of them and, and they, of course, became bestsellers after Don't Sweat the Small Stuff came out. But that's what I like to refer people to if they really want to know the principles that are written about in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series go back to that his earlier work and you can be happy no matter what. Um, there's five principles that he, uh, the first, um, he used to have the the um, subtitle was the five principles your therapist never told you, but they've since changed that. <laughs> I love that <laughs> subtitle, but they've since changed that because therapists now do talk so much about, about these principles, but they changed the subtitle to being the five principles to keeping life in perspective. And so if you if you look at these five principles, which they are thoughts, moods, feelings, separate realities, and present moment living, they pretty much are woven throughout all of the books. And you can kind of get a sense of that once you start to, you know, really think about those principles, you can see how he weaves those throughout all of the, there's, there's somewhere in each kind of each chapter, there's a a theme of thread of those. And, um, and they're really powerful. They're so simple, but they're very powerful. And of course, this was 20 years ago, and even 30 years ago, when he and when he was speaking on these on these things, which was very pioneering to the field of psychology. Yeah, that was um, some very cutting edge thinking and probably felt sort of critical or could have felt sort of critical to the profession. And that's okay because criticizing a profession helps it up level and really just like really examining our own lives help us up level. You have so many books, you and he do. Will you tell me your best titles and will you tell us of the Carlson body of work? We want to start with your best three books. Which ones should we buy? Well, for sure by You Can Be Happy No Matter What and for sure by Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And then and then I think Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and Love is probably my favorite book that Richard and I wrote together. And then 
I mean, I love Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women, but I wrote that like 15 years ago. And then I wrote Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms about in April of 2012. That was the first book to be added to the Don't Sweat series since Richard had, since he transitioned. I like to say the word transitioned. I don't like the word died. (laughs) And I don't like, because I don't ever feel like he died. And then I don't, I don't like past, even though that's the common way of saying it. I like to say we went through our transition in December of 2006. (laughs) Well, that is, that is hopeful. It's also very modern and kind of, kind of dig it. So I'll uh, try to use the right language if we should happen to refer to that event. Those are just, those are just the, those are just the things that I say, but no, there's no right way to say it actually. I mean, it's just what I feel comfortable with. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's good. And we're starting to hear that languaging more. And I think it appeals to those of us who have a lot of belief in energies and some people believe in, you know, subsequent lives and people believe that this is not the end and we don't get buried and that's the end of us. And which makes perfect sense when you think about how remarkable the, I mean, it's almost just mind blowing the message that Richard was spending years of his life. He was on an airplane out promoting and then he really drove it home for all of us and still, still wish that that didn't happen. But I just think that it makes his message fly faster. And I'm sorry that it had to happen that way, but I also think that you have a legacy that's so much bigger than both of you. Tell us a few of the habits from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, will you, that mean a lot to you? Well, I like to think of the ones that really um, stand out for me. And of course, I love the, like the whole theme about living presently. You know, I, I, that I alluded to the fact that I wasn't living as presently when Richard was alive and that I really learned that um, through his death, that living in the present moment was the safest place to live. It was, you know, I would be in too much pain if I looked at my past and I'd have a lot of regret. And if I looked to my future, I'd be too afraid. And so I, I practiced living presently and realized that that was, you know, really one of his core teachings. Oprah had always said that Richard was the one who taught her how to live presently. And so I think, you know, when you say, you know, it was very apropos the way he, the way he left us, um, it really was. I mean, he, he really did talk a lot about, you know, don't putting, not putting things off, um, that you, you know, that you really care about doing them now and, and not putting them off to a later date. The other thing that I think was really profound, which always impacted me greatly was that life isn't an emergency, you know, that we don't need to treat life as if it's a fight or flight amygdala response to everything um, situation, you know, where we're, we're on edge and reactive to life. I think when we're able to, um, take a golden pause, take a breath in between, you know, feeling agitated, then we become a lot more responsive to life and less reactive. And we can, we can treat life less like an emergency. So that's, that's the other thing that really has impacted me on a great level. And I love the chapter, see the extraordinary in the ordinary or or the ordinary. I don't have a book right in front of me. (laughs) So I'm going by my memory, but the gist of that. It's the extraordinary and the ordinary. Yes. Yeah, there you go. And so the gist of that is that really as you slow down and you wake up to your life and you're really present, 
the small things really do become extraordinary. And even the most ordinary of days and the most ordinary of moments, you know, can become extraordinary. Richard told a story um, often, and it was that a simple story. He was waiting for one of his best friends who kept him waiting for a long time. And he was standing outside and Richard, who didn't have a lot of extra time sometimes, really relished his moments of of not having anything to do. So his friend raced up, was, you know, 20 minutes late, raced up to Richard and said, oh my God, Richard, I'm so sorry I'm late. And Richard just goes, oh my God, look, look at this beautiful day. Do you feel that breeze? Do you see that tree? He's like, you're not late. I've been fully enjoying myself. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's, that's the thing that can happen when you take on, it doesn't matter how busy you are, but when you take on that attitude, you can, you know, really begin to notice that even an ordinary day is extraordinary. And that just takes slowing life down from the inside so that you can be really present to your life. I, I feel like the reason, one of the reasons why I just grieved when I learned this news shortly after I read the book is that I felt like he talked in the book, almost like he knew this would happen. Um, Like that he wouldn't have all the time in the world because he seemed really at a precocious age, pretty young, like people start thinking in their sixties and seventies about, Oh my gosh, I got to drop my work and look my even adult child in the eye and drop everything and just be in the present moment in a relationship. And this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff right here. The relationship. He wrote so much about that, that it's almost like it was prescient, like he knew. And did you ever feel like that? You know, I did, especially after he gave me that letter. Um, I did think that, and especially after he did, you know, he did die young. You know, I I feel like he did. There is something maybe to that with him. You know, okay, so on a deeper level, you know, I just feel like we do, some of us are conscious enough to know that, you know, we may have a shorter life than most people. And, you know, his was really sudden. There wasn't any great health problem that we knew about or anything. And, but, um, I just think sometimes the soul knows, you know, the soul really knows. And I used to say, I loved him so much and with my whole heart and soul. And I always felt like the luckiest woman to be chosen by him because he was truly an extraordinary man. I mean, he was so kind and compassionate and gentle that in 25 years of being together, we had three arguments and they were all due to my PMS. (laughs) (laughs) We never argued or, you know, he was just so generous in every capacity of how he was able to love, you know, and I used to say, God, loving Richard a lifetime won't be long enough. I must have said that saying, I mean, from the moment I met him, loving this man a lifetime will not be long enough. Well, I don't know if it's be careful what you say or, (laughs) or we both knew on some level that somehow we would have this amazing life together and somehow, you know, we would, I, I do believe Richard and I had a soul contract. I really do. I, I, this was so significant to my growth and, and to my soul growth, this loss that I feel that we must've had this, this sort of preconceived notion that this was how it was going to go down. 
you know, I have so many regrets about how I lived my early life and how I lived in my marriage and how I raised my children. And I, um, a, f- a favorite hobby of mine is to beat myself up about my parenting and any deficits there. And it's really meaningful to me that the two of you walk your talk and that you, you probably have few regrets about the way you conducted yourself in your marriage. And so thank you for walking your talk. I want to ask you one final question. And that is what you mentioned gifts in the loss. And it struck me so much. I wrote it down. Tell me one gift in the loss of your amazing husband. It really happened. You know, it was really Oprah that drove home something that I'd already been journaling about. Um, I wrote a book called Heartbroken Open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery after Richard transitioned. And and I that was really taken from my journal from that first year. And I in my journal, I, I wrote, oh, my God, I've been heartbroken open to feeling my life. And feeling it so profoundly, so deeply, so awake. And I think that, that you know, that's what I've learned is it really brought me into being even more the woman that I was meant to be. And, you know, I just think sometimes it's very innocent what can happen to us. And we can, you know, be lulled into the complacency of success. We can become more inhabiting in our roles of life. And that's certainly what happened to me. I, I felt that my world contribution was really, even though I had authored a couple of books by the time Richard had died, I still felt that my contribution was in holding space for him to do his work for the world. And he was always pulling me up and saying, no, Chris, you're a writer, you know, come up, come up, come do this with me. And I would be like, no, honey, you know, you, you do it. We've got the kids to raise. I'll do this. I'll you do this. I'll be a great wife. I'll be a great mother. And, you know, you do the author thing. And, and I think, you know, when I had to do everything, I just, I sort of grew into who I really am. And I think he always saw who I really was. And I just was reticent and hesitant to really step into that in my full power when he was alive. So, but you know, life gives us all that we need and I sure gave me what I needed to step in. And I, and I'm, I'm glad to say, and I'm happy to say, and I'm honored to say that I stepped in. Well, you're a great testament to resilience and I bet you've learned a lot about that. Oh my gosh. Yes, I have. Definitely, definitely have learned and spoken a lot about resilience over the years, for sure. That's a whole other podcast interview. Right? (laughs) It is, but I hope that uh, my audience checks you out. I think that there's going to be a lot of Googling of Richard and Christine Carlson for those who didn't know your work before. But uh, thank you again for your impact, not only on my life but on my life's work. It's been been an honor and a pleasure to speak to you, Robin. You're a delight. And I can surely see how your brand and your podcast is so wildly popular. You carry on an amazing conversation and I've just enjoyed this immensely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, My friends, wasn't that fantastic? That was the great Christine Carlson and her husband's name is Richard Carlson. Another book he put me on to years ago that I read that I want to put in the show notes for you is 
How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. So there's another book um, in addition to You Can Be Happy No Matter What and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. And of course, Christine's favorite work of her own that she mentioned to us is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love. And so for those of you in a relationship, those of you who uh, have a partner or are married, that seems like a really great read. Go check out the show notes and the freebies and references for you there at greensmoothiegirl.com slash episode 18. Thank you so much for being with us and go live your high vibration life. See you next time. 